Welcome, welcome back to Spotlight 19 and happy Memorial Day. This is Justin Tracy. And this is Saja Tracy. As usual, lots to talk about. Still haven't heard back from John Faso, although we did invite him to appear on the show. Um, we'll keep sending him invitations. Later on the show, we have an interview with Carla Nordstrom. Carla is not affiliated with the Nordstrom store who kicked out Ivanka Trump's fashion line from his shops, but Carla is going to give us some great insight into elections past and the future of New York 19. Yeah, we'll definitely keep sending out our invitations. There were some important environmental issues to discuss, but let's start with some social media things. Yeah, John Fazzo's Twitter had a video of him praising Omegang and Roscoe Brewery, both finalists in the Taste New York contest for craft beer. Do you think Faso heard our episode from two weeks ago about how Congress should have brought local craft beer to its celebration of the ACA repeal vote? Don't know. Um, what do you think? I don't think that John Faso listens to our podcast, but I was glad that he's applauding Taste New York in general This is a program that was created by Andrew Cuomo, the governor, and Faisal always seems to love to hate Governor Cuomo. But the Taste New York program is intended to generate revenue for New York farmers and producers, so it does actually help New York 19. And I hope more and more in-district producers are featured in that program. Me too. So there weren't too many votes this week, but there were two bombshell budget-related issues. First, of course, the release of Trump's budget, which kicks every federal program to the curb, except defense and national security, and has some glaring math flaws. Second, Trump Care got this really wretched CBO score. 23 million people won't have insurance 10 years from now, and that's something Faso is in favor of, as per his vote. So let's look at what Faso has said about the Trump budget. So John Faso's first statement expressed some reservations about Trump's budget, but he did call some parts of it welcome. And when I asked during my daily calls every morning, the staffer said Faso supports the huge increases to military and national security. I wish that meant more mental health services provided to veterans and that the military will become a job creation engine domestically through offices supporting our service members. But will we just be buying more weapons? I'm not sure, but it was only on Friday, uh, I think that's May 26th, the Friday before Memorial Day, that FASO released any other position on Trump's budget. And in the Daily Freeman, he expressed concern about water and sewer community grants. But Faso did not mention programs specifically like Meals on Wheels or Medicaid, which many on this district and those that are perhaps struggling the most rely on. Yeah, but Faso was just out with Meals on Wheels the other day. He could have mentioned something in a statement to the Daily Freeman. Well, maybe they aren't providing flavored milk or something. (laughs) Well, I saw that Faso again started talking during a Republican meeting he was invited to about how excited he is um, about the flavored milk options that he's pushing in school lunches. And then last week he spoke at an organic farming conference. So my letter this week will ask about the nature of the flavoring and coloring in the milk he's pushing on kids. 
But speaking of kids, I understand that there were some good votes this week that could help kids. Yeah, the first bill was to close a loophole created by a federal court decision that allowed sexual predators to avoid being convicted when even though in one instance the predator admitted he took pornographic images of a child, he hadn't actually engaged in any act. So it removed, what this bill actually did was it removed the intent requirement for that crime. And this bill actually makes sure a federal prosecutor can still pursue cases like the one I just described and there wouldn't be a loophole where the predator, predator could get out of the crime and get out of being convicted. The other bill that FASO voted on this week requires amateur athletic teams recognized by the Olympic Committee to report allegations of physical and sex abuse to law enforcement, and it also requires them to develop training to make sure that these types of abuse do not happen. All right, I can commend John Fazzo on these votes. Um, because they'll help kids. But I'm calling him out on further confusing New York 19 on his environmental positions. My calling him out was probably the most in-depth and complex research I've ever done, and it took a truly weird turn on Twitter. So last week, Fazzo voted to remove pesticide permits for their use near waterways. And the language everyone's using to promote the bill seems that it's, quote, reducing the regulatory burden, unquote, on farmers. But that's not, but that's just not true. In the five years this permit has been in place, the EPA didn't receive complaints about the permit being burdensome. It does not apply to small farms or ranches. And the pesticide lobby has spent millions trying to push this through under different names for years. I did see your Twitter graphic with the picture of the crop duster. I know. Our listeners might know by now that Spotlight 19 Studio is on a farm. And on our first morning here four years ago, I heard this insane noise. It was a plane dusting and what was at the time a cornfield. Now it's an artisanal lettuce field. But after my Twitter post, a man, Richard, Gu uh, Richard Gupton, started relentlessly responding to my, my tweet. Uh, it was strange because our Twitter has a limited following and it was the Friday before Memorial Day. I looked into Gupton. Uh, he runs a super pack for agricultural retailers, a.k.a. the pesticide lobby. Gupton pushed, Gupton pushed on us a ton of info about how the Reducing Regulatory Burdens Act gets rid of duplicative regulations on farmers. I don't know why he would go out of his way to target us. And of course, as of this recording, the only explanation is extremely brief and it doesn't really say much. But in a comment to the reporter, which I believe is the newspaper out in Delaware County, Fazzo stated that farmers had expressed to him concern about the excess regulation of water. But again, the permitting requirement was intended to protect the public. 
It was the result of a court decision in a lawsuit brought by both environmentalists and commercial fishermen that were both concerned that the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, FIFRA, was not doing enough to comply with the Clean Water Act, which of course was implemented in the 70s. And these types of pesticides were impacting waterways. The protections under FIFRA and the Clean Water Act are not the same thing. These two different acts have different missions. FIFRA is for making sure a pesticide isn't harmful. The Clean Water Act is to make sure our water is clean. But Faso seems to think that these acts are the same, as per his vote explanation on his website. Right. The website explanation also says the vote was bipartisan, but most Democratic members of Congress voted against the bill. But Gupton, the PAC guy from Twitter, uh, did refer to FIFRA and the New York state regulations that apply to pesticide use. We did find two areas of agreement. Um, Gupton liked my music and agreed with me the EPA needs adequate funding, which trumps awful budget cuts by 30%. Now, FASA has not yet come out against it, but I invited Gupton to onto the show uh, about eight times on Twitter, and he just did not answer. That was, he would answer everything to everything else, but he didn't want to say anything about coming on the show. Uh, kind of like Fazzo. So luckily, New York State does seem to have provisions for pesticide use that may save our waterways. But, but why not require federal baseline of reporting use? And if it's costing farmers or counties too much money to file this permit, then help them out. Make it free if it's not already and create a job in the EPA to help with it. And find a grant for universities to teach student scientists to do the study needed to fulfill the permit requirements. But don't remove something that increases environmental oversight. Saja, I think this bill, um, which the pesticide lobby paid nearly $3 million for, isn't for farmers. Bob Gibbs who authorized this bill, receives the most money for his campaign from the fertilizer lobby. And all the Republicans, Faso included, voted against Representative Estes' amendment to the bill to require any corporation that donated to the President Trump's campaign to still require this permit to spray those pesticides. Obviously, those companies are not being burdened enough that they don't still have spare cash to shell out to the campaign of 45. Now, I wish it wasn't true, but it's pretty obvious to me that this bill is for these enormous chemical companies that are in bed with the Republican Party. That sounds like an awful bed. Anyway, also this week, Fazzo sought to confuse New York 19 with his announcement that he'll, he has called for the delaying of actually having anchorages for barges on the Hudson River. He asked the Coast Guard for an additional year of review of these anchorages, which people might have heard about in the past. That's actually one of the reasons they're uh, making the Tappan Zee Bridge higher, so these barges can actually go under the bridge. But anyway, Fazo has asked the Coast Guard for an additional year of review of where the anchorages will be so they can hear the concerns of residents. 
Wait, John Fazer wants the Coast Guard to hear the concerns? Okay, from now on, every time we encounter blatant hypocrisy with Fazer, we're going to ring this bell. The pot kettle collision bell, let's call it. Uh, followed by Withnall, the dog barking, of course. It's pretty rough because the Coast Guard has to acknowledge every comment it receives, whereas so far it seems like Fazo only selectively answers our calls and messages. But what's interesting is that Fazo declined to co-sponsor Representative Sean Maloney's bill, and he's the rep for the 18th District who comes up in this podcast from time to time, and he's directly to our south, so he also has a district that has property on the Hudson River. And what Sean Maloney is doing is calling for a restriction on anchorages for vessels with potentially hazardous waste material in certain locations. These locations include within five miles of nuclear power stations like Indian Point, Superfund cleanup designations, areas on the National Registry of Historic Places, and living habitats for endangered species. So Sean Maloney is calling on a complete ban for anchorages anchorages in sensitive areas. Right. So Faso has not joined in that bill, Representative Maloney's. Faso just wants to delay the barge anchorages and make it seem like he cares about the Hudson River when the bill that actually removes hazardous waste at anchorages from sensitive areas of the river is also out there. Faso can keep posing to his voters like he cares about the river, but he doesn't. And this week he didn't sign onto a letter written to the EPA by Senator Jill Brand requesting that the removal of PCBs from the Hudson is not complete yet. And the New York Department of Environmental Conservation is still finding problems upstream with PCB levels. And I'm not surprised. After all, Faso kicked off his tenure with allowing coal mining waste in waterways. And if there's a Water is Life Club or something like that, he's definitely not in it. I mean, that's just about right. Anything else? Any town halls coming up? (laughs) Why do you even ask about town halls? There was a protest that was modeled after Game of Thrones, the shaming of a key character in Game of Thrones, wherein she actually had to walk through the city naked while everyone chanted shame. Luckily, no one dressed up as Fazo in the nude. That would be a bit disturbing and probably illegal by some of the town ordinances around here. But... It is a really amazing reenactment of the scene and the fact that constituents are going that far to take time out of their schedules to reenact a shame protest in their own free time is pretty telling about how badly they would like John Fazzo to listen to them and how important it is for him to listen to the constituents. The fact that they're willing to shame him in this kind of extraordinary way that we haven't really seen before yeah i saw the protest uh, they too had employed a uh, bell of hypocrisy we don't even have time to get into the awful cbo score of trump care but faso's on recess this week so no votes to discuss in next week's show so hopefully we can get to that but basically he doesn't seem to care that the score is bad since it will not save the government money since people will die quicker, I mean, horrible to, to say, but I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what it's looking like. 
Next week, tune in for perhaps more on the CBO score, and we will feature candidate for Congress, Steve Brizzy. Steve will be on the show, and we will be introducing a segment called Five Fast Fazo Facts. It'll be about Fazo's history and a Spotlight 19 biography, if you will. We'll be starting with Fazo's early life, high school and college. And if anyone would like us to cover a specific fact, send it our way at nyspotlight19 at gmail.com. And this segment is at the request of a Twitter friend, Nathaniel Weiss. Thanks again for listening to us, Spotlight 19. And coming up now is our telephone interview with Carla Nordstrom. We have Carla Nordstrom, who has a wealth of experience with campaigns in this district and whose Spotlight 19 was actually connected to when John Fazzo announced that his office would not be tallying the calls it received from constituents during the initial vote on Trump care, which was really alarming to many of us. So what Spotlight 19 actually did was that it made an appeal on Facebook to let people know that we would be tallying the calls that people made if John Fazzo wasn't. And Carla was actually one of the first people to reach out to us. She let us know that she had called John Fazzo's office and that she was really leading a concerted effort in Delaware County, which is quite far from where Spotlight 19 is located out in Ulster County. So today we welcome Carla Nordstrom. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sasha, and uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really feel like the district has really come to into its own because there's a podcast, which is fabulous. Carla, if you could just give us a brief background of your work in the district and some of your experiences with campaigning here. I've been involved peripherally in politics for many, many years, and in fact, my first experience in this district was I was a volunteer for John Dow, who ran for Congress in Delaware and Sullivan County. They were part of that district in 1964. And he was a liberal Democrat who was, won the election, much to the surprise of everybody, because Lyndon Johnson pulled him into to office. And for four years there, our district had a very, very progressive uh, congressman who voted against the war in Vietnam and all sorts of things. Um, it's never happened since, but I think it's one of the reasons that our district is, even though it's generally a Republican district, is a little more moderate than a lot of other districts. I've had a house in Franklin for 28 years, and during that time, because of my interest in politics, I've been peripherally involved in things. I was involved in a couple of the campaigns for Congress when Delaware County was in the 19th CD when Kristen Gillibrand was the representative. And then since it's been the 20th CD, I was more involved this year on Zephyr Teachout's campaign than previous years. So how was Zephyr Teachout's campaign different from the others you just mentioned in your experience? First of all, this town I live in is Franklin, and it's really off the map. And the difference with this year's campaign and the 2016 campaign is both Zephyr Teachout and Will Yandick came to Franklin. 
And for those who might not remember, Will Yandek actually ran against Zephyr Teachout in the Democratic primary for Congress. So we got an opportunity to meet both of those candidates. For the campaign itself, we had an issue where they were going to put a compressor station into the town. So in 2015, many people in our town became very active in the anti-compressor station movement. Mm. And so there was a new interest in politics. And we have been running candidates for town board. We haven't been successful in getting anyone elected yet. So we finally had a political organization in Franklin. So we used the data we'd collected from Compressor Free Franklin to identify voters who we could appeal to to vote for Zephyr. And so we tried calling people and talking to people. We had a lot of lawn signs for Zephyr in Franklin because I knew of a stash in Walton, and whenever anyone would ask for one, I would just go pick them up and pop them on people's lawns. <laughs> so we were kind of doing our own thing. And the thing that disappointed me a bit was the campaign was not really approachable insofar as what we were doing. I kept getting calls. Would I go and make phone calls to people in other parts of the district? And I kept saying, no, we're doing our own thing in Franklin. We're going to try to deliver some votes for her in Franklin. And I think because it was an inexperienced campaign that they didn't know how to use that information and how to support us and how we could support them. I think this next election will be very, very different because there's so many experienced people throughout the district who will be involved in the campaign. I I totally agree. I know that you, Carla, have split time between your home in Franklin and New York City in the past. And there's always this push to register people who might have a second home to vote upstate. What do you think about that? I do vote in Delaware County. I changed my registration a couple of years ago because we were living there full time. I mean, a lot of people say, well, if we can just get the city people to vote upstate, that will make everything better. And I have very strong opinions about that because I've found that voting upstate has been incredibly disappointing because there are so few candidates to vote for. I mean, it's fine if we have a congressional candidate, but the number of write-ins I have to do because there are no Democrats running for assembly or very weak Democrats running for state Senate is very frustrating for a very active voter, which is what I am. One of the things that we have to come to grips with in upstate, if we want people from the urban areas who have second homes in our community to vote in our area, we've got to give them people to vote for. We've got to run viable candidates, good opposition candidates in all races, because there's nothing worse than coming from a district in New York where you have one of the most effective assembly members in the state assembly, and then you go upstate and nobody even runs against this guy who does nothing for the community. You're definitely right that there is a lack of candidates upstate, but I will say that our assemblyman is Kevin Cahill, and we were lucky enough to meet him at a presentation against the Pilgrim Pipeline that was held in the Kingston City Hall, and all assemblymen should aspire, and women, should aspire to be as accessible as Assemblyman Cahill. So, 
A lot of the rhetoric that was employed by the opposition against Zephyr Teachout and was incredibly effective hinged on the fact that she wasn't from here. She actually moved to Chatham from Brooklyn, and that was a huge issue for her. And this issue comes up time and time again, this divide between people who have second homes here and the locals. How do you think we can bridge this gap? The local people in our area, especially Franklin, Franklin is mainly dairy farmers, they provide us with milk, which and there's nothing more basic than milk. And I think that if we could really come together in conversations and talk about the things that we bring to the tables, whether we're from the city or your family has been in a place like Franklin for 200 years, I think that we might be able to forge some relationships that would be more positive than they are now. So that's really the whole idea behind Spotlight 19, to start to have these conversations about what everyone in the district brings to the table. And I really think, based on what you just said, it's an area of common ground between us and Representative Faso because he's advocated for dairy farmers in this district. And actually, speaking of John Faso, your website, Seeds of Democracy, actually tracks his votes and some of the other representatives from the district. Could you tell us a little bit more about your website? One thing that became clear to me after the 2016 election is that people in our area were not voting in their best interest. Um, If you take Fazo, he was the lobbyist for the Constitution Pipeline, which is the very company that had planned to put a compressor station in Franklin. Yet many people in Franklin voted for him because he was a Republican. They also voted for Trump, who we've learned is legislating for the very rich. And I thought, well, why would a community that doesn't want a compressor station and has no rich voters, why would they vote for these people? And I felt that it had to do with the fact that there was a lack of information. Nobody really knows what our elected officials are doing. So we set up Seeds of Democracy to to act as a resource for the 19th CD to provide information on who our elected officials were and how they vote. We've been providing voting information for uh, Representative Pazzo and for Senators Gillibrand and Schumer through two sources. One is 538.com, which records each vote, and then the other source is MegaVote, which is a a service from Washington where they send out how people voted on important votes. So we were able to put that information into it. But then we realized that in our district we have so many state senate seats and assembly member seats, and we should include all of that information. So we have a page for each of the state senators and for each of the assembly members. We have maps of their district. And then we have the most recent information that's available on their voting. So that's one part of it is showing all of the people who are actually elected officials in our district on the state and federal level. And then the other thing is we've been compiling different uh, resources, various lists that people have sent to us of good news sources. We have a list of the Democratic County Committees, how to run for office. That's one thing we're in the process of developing now. But the thing that we've been doing most recently that's been mind-boggling is we were able to compile a list of all the different resistance and indivisible groups in the 19th CD, and we are up to over 100 groups that have formed since the election. 
It's so crazy that the phrase seeds of democracy was actually used heavily by Republicans in the era of President Bush to justify the war in Iraq. And now your group is actually using the same phrase to hold our elected officials accountable to the principles of democracy. What do you actually make of that? Well, I hadn't realized that the Bush administration used that term. And it's really ironic because it was out of the Iraq war that seeds of democracy came into being. We live near Madison Square Garden, and in 2004, the Republican Convention was held at Madison Square Garden, and we were involved in anti-war groups and in various demonstrations with all these Republicans in town. And there was a huge demonstration that was planned to take place. I think it was like the first day of the convention. And they had requested that it end in Central Park, which was a place where many demonstrations in New York throughout the years have ended in Sheep's Meadow and Central Park. And Mayor Bloomberg said, oh, no, you can't do that. It would ruin the grass. So my husband and I put together little baggies of grass seed to hand out to people, basically with seeds of democracy on it, to say that we would take responsibility for the grass, that there was no worry about destroying the grass because we would replant the grass. It was a symbolic gesture, basically. But at the time, my husband went online and, and, and grabbed up the website Seeds of Democracy. And it's been sitting there for all these years with us not doing anything with it. And so when this came when this idea came up, we thought that it would be a perfect um, opportunity to use that name and that website for this effort. What a great story. And on Spotlight 19, we're meeting and interacting with so many new activists. So it's really great to hear some history and recent history of activism. And uh, on that note, what are you most excited about in this congressional district? There has been a lot of activity going on. One of the most exciting things that's happening in the district right now is that we have at least six viable candidates for Congress. But I'd like to make another call to action for people to run for statewide office. In New York State, the Assembly has just passed a single-payer health bill that could provide health care for all of New York. We're one vote away from a sponsor in the state Senate. And the governor has not become that involved in this issue. It's something that if we had more Democrats in the state Senate, could be done. So we really need young people. But also running for the assembly, not that expensive. Most of those campaigns are less than $100,000. But I think that running for these offices could be a terrific opportunity. If people are interested, you can get more information on how to run for local office at Seeds of Democracy under resources. That's my big appeal to everybody. Let's do blood. Carla, we love what you're doing. I know at Spotlight 19, we've been using Seeds of Democracy to help us out with our show. And everyone should definitely check out the website, seedsofdemocracy.org. We hope to have Carla back with us soon. Indeed. Thank you, Carla, for coming on the show. This wraps up the interview and our show for this week. Uh, Please reach out to us on Twitter. And thank you again for listening to Spotlight 19. We will track John Fazzo's votes and try to explain some of this stuff that's going on. It's uh, pretty crazy times. If 
you like the show, spread the good word. We'll be back next week. Keep the faith. Peace of mind. And that's what you'll find. When you come up to the house.